Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. Uh, just by way of programming note, uh, we are coming up on our usual spring break period where uh, Derek takes a little rest. Uh, we will be starting that after Thursday's roundup, and I'll be back uh, to regular schedule on April 9th. That's a Sunday, so just be aware of that. All right, let's get into it. There were a few anniversaries. Uh, on March 27th, 1941, elements of the Yugoslav Royal Army Air Force undertook a successful coup, uh, overthrowing a pro-Axis regency in favor of a new junta uh, led by a new prime minister, Dusan Simovic. Uh, the Axis, in very short order, invaded Yugoslavia, uh, drove out uh, the 11-year-old king, Peter II, and uh, Simovic's government before carving Yugoslavia up into a Croatian puppet state and several protectorates that were either effectively or actually annexed by Bulgaria, Germany, Hungary, and Italy. The Yugoslav Partisans, a predominantly communist group led by Josef Broz Tito, uh, resisted Axis occupation and, with Soviet help, uh, had driven the Germans and Italians out of Yugoslavia by May 1945. On March 28, 1737, the expanding Maratha Empire dealt a significant defeat to the well-past-its-peak uh, well, not well past, let's say, just past its peak Mughal Empire uh, in a battle near Delhi. Uh, the outcome wasn't decisive. Uh, the Maratha Peshwa, who was sort of the grand vizier or prime minister, uh, the de facto day-to-day -day leader of the Maratha Empire, Abaji Rao I, uh, subsequently withdrew uh, because the Mughals had assembled a massive relief army uh, and sent it uh, to follow up on this battle. But it's still, this battle still stands as one of the uh, first real signs that the Mughals were losing their status as top dog in India to the Marathas. Subsequent battles would see the Mughals uh, eventually forced to give up territory and pay tribute uh, to the growing Maratha state. Uh, also on March 28, 1939, Francisco Franco's nationalist forces successfully captured Madrid. After a nearly two-and-a-half-year siege, Franco's initial assault on the city began in November 1936. It was beaten back by its Republican defenders, uh, so he settled in for a very long campaign that eventually wore the defenders out. Franco entered the city and declared victory just days later on April 1st, bringing an end to the Spanish Civil War. Uh, on to the news. In Syria, in the Middle East, in Syria, uh, the U.S. and U.K. governments issued coordinated new sanctions on Tuesday, targeting a suspected captagon trafficking ring with alleged ties to Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Uh, I say alleged, but in at least one sense, this suspected ring is definitely linked with Assad and that two of the newly blacklisted individuals are cousins of the Syrian leader. Syria is the undisputed world champion in the production and export of Captagon, which is a stimulant that was first introduced in the 1960s as a uh, quote-unquote safer alternative to amphetamines, uh, as well as the production of Captagon knockoffs uh, that are usually some combination of amphetamines and caffeine. Uh, a number of Syrian militant groups traffic in the drug and their fighters frequently use it, uh, and it's believed the government has gotten in on this act to generate some revenue. Uh, the Captagon network targeted by Tuesday sanctions is alleged to be headed by Maher al-Assad, Bashar's brother. 
in Israel-Palestine, uh, Israeli politics are still, or Israeli politicians and uh, people, I guess, are still processing the fallout from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's decision to pause on Monday uh, his judicial overhaul plan in the face of seemingly unprecedented opposition from several corners of Israeli society, everything from unions to military reservists, business leaders, and much of the general public. Representatives of Netanyahu's government and two large centrist or center-right opposition parties, Yesh Atid and the National Unity Party, met on Tuesday to begin exploring a potential compromise alternative to the judicial plan, although it's, uh, of course, far too soon to say whether there's any common ground that will satisfy both the opposition and the far-right elements of Netanyahu's coalition. Far-right parties do have some leverage in this process as they could threaten to quit the coalition and force a new election, but there's really not much reason to think a new election would benefit them, especially not amid all this turmoil. Uh, If the parties are unable to reach an accord, uh, I would say this is probably the more likely scenario, but who knows, Netanyahu will almost certainly try to bring back the same overhaul legislation that he shelved on Monday. The big question then is whether he'll be able to pass it. The answer may depend to a large degree on whether the massive and unlikely coalition that assembled to force Monday's pause can stay committed to the cause. Uh, Netanyahu may be betting that it can't, but only time will tell. Uh, At this point, however, it seems evident that this whole affair has damaged uh, his coalition politically and intensified a number of pre-existing fault lines in Israeli society, uh, and that could manifest in unexpected ways down the road. Uh, If right-wing supporters of the overhaul, for example, come out more energetically in its defense moving forward, what was already a precarious situation could become even more combustible. This is not to say that Israel is on the verge of civil war, as its president, Isaac Herzog, has suggested, but its politics do seem to be entering a place they've maybe never really been before. Uh, One thing that apparently will not be happening yet is a Netanyahu visit to the White House. It's been nearly four months since Netanyahu became prime minister again, and Joe Biden still has not invited him to stop by, which appears to be causing the Israeli leader some embarrassment. I mention this because the New York Times reported on Tuesday that Biden had finally extended such an invite to Netanyahu in response to the judicial pause, but the White House subsequently doused that report with cold water. The U.S. ambassador to Israel, Thomas Nides, did tell Israeli media on Tuesday that there's no question Netanyahu will be invited to the White House at some point, uh, but he did not offer a date or suggest that said invitation was imminent. Uh, Indeed, Netanyahu sniped at Biden later in the day, uh, basically telling him to stay out of Israel's business. Uh, One wonders if that means he's going to start rejecting U.S. military aid if he really wants the U.S. out of his business, but uh, I doubt it. Uh, in Bahrain, the Bahraini foreign ministry summoned Iraq's charge d'affaires in uh, Manama on Tuesday for unspecified interference in Bahrain's internal affairs. Uh, the Iraqi foreign ministry subsequently removed the diplomat Omar Abdurrahman uh, from Bahrain and transferred him back to the ministry in Baghdad. Still not clear what exactly he's supposed to have done. Uh, In uh, Iran, uh, I won't uh, read the excerpt here, but in case you missed it, please do check out uh, Jean Bajalan's piece for Foreign Exchanges, uh, which we published on Monday, his first piece for Foreign Exchanges, uh, in which he looked at the recent Masa Amini protests in Iran uh, from the perspective of Iran's Kurdish community. As I say, I won't uh, read you an excerpt, uh, but uh, I would urge you, 
you if you haven't uh, read it. It's an interesting piece, and it, it delves back into a lot of very interesting history. Please do check it out. Uh, in Asia, uh, in Myanmar, uh, the ruling junta on Tuesday dissolved 40 political parties, including the National League of Democracy Party, led by former Myanmar leader uh, Aung San Suu Kyi. Uh, those parties apparently failed to register for Myanmar's next election, whenever that might be, which is supposed to restore the civilian governments that the junta eliminated in its February 2021 coup. It is uh, more likely that the election will merely ratify military rule under a civilian guise, which is one reason why the NLD opted out. Uh, the junta's continued imprisonment of Suu Kyi and other senior party leaders is another. Uh, in North Korea, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un ordered officials involved with Pyongyang's nuclear weapons program to pursue a, an uh, quote-unquote exponential increase in the country's available weapons-grade material on Tuesday, according to North Korean media. So that sounds great. Uh, photos appear to show Kim inspecting a still hypothetical weapon known as the Hwasan 31, uh, which if or when it becomes operational will be North Korea's first tactical nuclear device. Kim views tactical nukes, which can be fired relatively quickly, as a key goal uh, for bol bolstering Pyongyang's nuclear deterrent. Uh, there's as yet no indication, however, that the North Koreans have actually tested a tactical warhead, though, uh, as I've been saying in this newsletter, North Korea watchers have been predicting a new nuclear test for some time now. There's been signs of activity at uh, uh, the, the nuclear testing site, and just in general, they seem to be... Uh, perpetually preparing for a new nuclear test. So one is probably coming at some point, although, frankly, I would have thought it would have already happened by now. Uh, on to Africa and Ethiopia. Uh, having resolved, at least for now, his government's conflict with the Tigray People's Liberation Front, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed said on Tuesday that he has reached out to another rebel, rebel faction, the Oromo Liberation Army, about the possibility of peace talks. Abi has established a committee uh, to manage that process, and that committee, according to him, has made 10 attempts at contacting the group. However, uh, the OLA's decentralized structure has apparently made establishing lines of communication a challenge. Uh, I should say an OLA spokesperson dismissed Abi's remarks. Uh, on Tuesday, saying that those 10 tries were, quote, not genuine attempts to contact the OLA leadership, end quote. Uh, the spokesperson went on to say that the government or claim that the government has instead uh, been reaching out to individual OLA commanders, quote, to convince them to surrender, end quote. So uh, maybe a bit of a difference of opinion about what exactly Abiy Ahmed's government is trying to do here. Uh, in the uh, Republic of the Congo, or actually off the coast of the Republic of the Congo, that's somewhat uh, misleading, I suppose, uh, pirates reportedly boarded a Liberian flag Danish-owned tanker in the Gulf of Guinea on Saturday, Saturday, some 140 nautical miles off of the Congolese port city of Pont-Noir. Uh, the 16 crew members aboard were apparently able to get to a safe room, though as far as I know, there's been no update on their status, nor does anyone seem to know where exactly the vessel is at present, as there's been no communication with it since the pirates turned up. The Gulf of Guinea remains one of the world's uh, most dangerous shipping lanes with respect to pirate activity. 
in Europe and uh, Russia, with the Russian government having suspended the inspections portion of the New START arms control accord uh, earlier this month, the Biden administration decided on Tuesday to scrap another, or actually that was uh, last month, I apologize. Uh, the Biden administration decided on Tuesday to scrap another part of the treaty by withholding the nuclear data it is supposed to provide to Russia, to Russia twice per year. Uh, when Vladimir Putin announced the inspections halt last month, uh, Russian officials were at pains to say that they would maintain New START's data sharing requirements. But the Biden administration says that it views withholding U.S. data as a tool to pressure Putin into reversing course. Uh, it seems to me that Putin isn't very big on reversing course due to external pressure these days, but what do I know? Uh, the U.S. is still apparently going to continue fulfilling its obligation to notify Russia uh, of any changes in the disposition of U.S. nuclear forces. Uh, in Ukraine, uh, the leader of the Russian-controlled parts of Donetsk Oblast, uh, Denis Pushilin, uh, claimed on Tuesday that Russian forces were advancing again in Bakhmut after several days in which Ukrainian officials had been claiming that the Russian offensive was stalling out. Uh, they're still claiming this, in fact. Uh, according to Pushilin, uh, Russian forces are close to taking full control of a large industrial area on the western side of the Bakhmutka River. Uh, once they have control of that area, conceivably uh, taking the rest of the city might not be as difficult, but who knows. Uh, there is no confirmation, of course, of Pushilin's claims, as, as there's hardly ever confirmation in the, of anything in this conflict. And uh, likewise, there has been, hasn't been any confirmation of the Ukrainian claims that the Russians uh, have stopped advancing. So really, uh, you just have kind of competing uh, assertions at this point. In Finland... Polling ahead of Sunday's Finnish parliamentary election suggests that the Conservative National Coalition Party, or KOK, uh, its Finnish acronym, is losing ground to the two parties polling behind it, uh, Prime Minister Sanamaren's Social Democratic Party and the far-right Finns Party. The latest poll from the firm Kantar Public has the KOK at 19.8% support, with the other two parties at 19.2% each. That's down from a 20.8% to 19.3% KOK lead over the other two parties in the same survey in mid-February. Uh, the leader of the party that emerges with the largest share of the vote will have first crack at forming a governing coalition. Uh, in Norway, uh, Norway is uh, set to assume the chair of the eight-member Arctic Council uh, from Russia on May 11th. Uh, the other uh, six members, uh, if you're curious, are Canada, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Sweden, and the United States. Uh, it's unclear how that process is going to be completed under the circumstances. Moscow has proposed an in-person transition ceremony, but there's no chance that's going to happen. Norwegian officials have instead proposed a low-key virtual changeover. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, the council has basically been on hiatus since Russia invaded Ukraine, at which point the other seven members simply refused to participate under Russian leadership. Uh, the Russians may now decide uh, to suspend their participation uh, so we'll have to see what uh, what comes of that. Uh, and in Greece, Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis uh, has scheduled that country's parliamentary election for May 21st amid polling that suggests his conservative New Democracy Party could lose its parliamentary majority. 
High inflation and a mismanaged response to a major train accident last month, likely the result of consistently underfunding the Greek rail system, are taking their toll on Mitsotakis's public standing. Uh, New Democracy currently has 158 seats. It needs 151 for a majority in the 300-seat Greek parliament. If no party is able to hit that 151-seat margin, they'll have a chance to negotiate a coalition arrangement. But if that also fails, another election will probably be held in July under a system uh, a different system that should be considerably more generous in allocating seats to larger parties like New Democracy. Uh, and in the Americas, in Mexico, a fire at a Ciudad Juarez migration center, I put that in quotes, it's really a detention facility for asylum seekers attempting to enter the U.S., left at least 40 people dead and dozens more injured on Tuesday. Uh, Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador suggested that the fire was related to a protest in the facility by a group of detainees who learned that they were being deported. This claim may not be tenable given the nature of the facility, which really does appear to operate more or less as a prison, partly due to overcrowding, uh, and so it's unclear how the detainees would have had access to anything that could start a fire. Uh, there's no indication of intentional foul play, apart, of course, from an intentionally foul U.S. immigration system that stranded these people in an overcrowded Mexican prison when they should have been allowed to pursue their asylum claims in the U.S. Uh, and in the United States, finally, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin asked members of the Senate Armed Services Committee on Tuesday to stop asking the U.S. military services for lists of unfunded priorities. These are goodies that didn't make it into the administration's proposed military budget. Uh, Congress collects these lists every year and then crams a bunch of priorities back into the budget, which is how, for example, it wound up padding the Biden administration's already obscenely large 2023 military budget request with an extra $45 billion. Uh, on that note, then, uh, we'll uh, wrap up here with William Astor's timely Tom Dispatch piece on the contemporary state of the military-industrial congressional complex. Uh, and again, I think I'm going to forego reading uh, a, an excerpt here. It's there in the print version of the newsletter, but it's very long, and it's a, the kind of piece that you really have to just read through. It's an excellent kind of look back at, at where we've been. Um, maybe we could just actually pick up here. I will read uh, actually a couple of paragraphs. Not to be deterred by the fizzling of the nightmarish war on terror, the MICC seized on a new Cold War with China and Russia, which only surged when, in 2022, Vladimir Putin so disastrously, disastrously invaded Ukraine as the U.S. had once invaded Afghanistan and Iraq. Yet again, Americans were told that they faced implacable foes that could only be met with overwhelming military power and, of course, the funding that went with it, again in the name of deterrence and containment. In a way, in 1953 and later in 1961, uh, President Eisenhower, too, had been urging Americans to launch a war of containment only against an internal foe, what he, what he then labeled for the first time the military-industrial complex. For various reasons, we failed to heed his warnings. As a result, over the last 70 years, it has grown to dominate the federal government as well as American culture in a myriad of ways, leaving aside funding where it's beyond dominant, try movies, TV shows, video games, education, sports, you name it. Today, the MICC is remarkably uncontained. Ike's words weren't enough, and sadly, his actions too often conflicted with his vision, as in the CIA's involvement in a coup in Iran in 1953. So his worst nightmare did indeed come to pass. In 2023, along with much of the world, America does indeed hang from a cross of iron, hovering closer to the brink of nuclear war than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. So that, I think that's 
that's a good place to leave it. Uh, always like to, to end on a high note, happy note. Uh, and uh, as always, I want to thank you for uh, reading and or listening to the newsletter. And thanks to those of you who are subscribers to foreign exchanges, especially those of you who are paid foreign exchanges subscribers who make this newsletter possible. Uh, and uh, until next time, take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.